0: Today, we are going to be asking the question, what will heaven be like? This whole series, as we uh, talk about asking for a friend, the idea is to bring your friends so that they can hear the answers to these things. And sometimes we're so fearful about talking specifically about heaven that we end up saying nothing at all. And, and that's not helpful either. And there's many things that we can know, so hopefully this message just allows you to go home encouraged, uh, but also encouraged not just to know that heaven exists, that it's going to be this amazing place, but encouraged to tell other people, to tell that friend who needs to know and needs to hear this good news. So before we get started, I got to lay down just uh, some simple ground rules for this message. First rule, uh, all the ideas of heaven have to come from his word. That's ground rule number one. Second, within those, those ideas, within that, that description in his word, we can use our sanctified imaginations. We'll put it that way. So we can talk about the things that maybe we're not sure about, but we have a foundation to work from in his word. And number three, we can disagree and still go to heaven. Okay, so it's, it's going to be okay. If you don't agree with everything, it's okay. We can, we can disagree and go to heaven. Here's what I, I want you to know for sure. Heaven is going to be amazing. I mean, really, really amazing. Our good God and our gracious Savior have gone to incredible lengths to prepare this amazing place for us and to make sure that we actually get there. So be sure that you get as many friends as possible to come with you as well because they won't want to miss this. Question number one, does heaven exist? Yes. Yes. Next question. (laughs) I'll give you you some reasons. I'll give you some reasons. Uh, Martin Marty, who was a a historian at uh, the University of Chicago, he recalls hearing many sermons in his youth about heaven and hell, but he says this, now the only time you hear of heaven is when somebody has died. And that's kind of true. Although I, I I answered that quickly, I want to give you some reasons behind why we believe heaven exists. First, God's created nature gives us some clues about heaven. We're headed into winter. If you haven't figured that out from last weekend, I, I don't know, uh, you're missing it. But we're headed into winter and fall is basically over. The beautiful colors are, are just about gone. Pretty soon everything's going to go dormant and everything will kind of die in a sense. And just about the time you can't take that anymore, the grass will begin to green up again. The flowers will start to bloom. Trees will bud. Birds will sing. The cycle of life, the uh, cycle of nature is death followed by death life. And so just the created world itself teaches us about the nature of God and specifically the nature of heaven. It is a real place that after death there will be life. Jesus said in John twelve twenty four, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Now he is speaking about his own sort of death But he's also speaking about nature itself, that when you put a seed in the soil and it dies, it brings life. And so nature actually prepares us to accept the reality that heaven is real. Now, along with the created nature, we also see the nature of God, demanding that there be such a place called heaven. God is a God of everlasting love. His purpose in creating us was to have fellowship with us. The whole goal of his love, the very requirement of his nature is this eternal fellowship with those he has created. And the only way that that can be fulfilled is in a place like heaven. Now, a secondary question to this question of does heaven exist might be, has anyone ever been there? Now, rather than go to some of the books that you've seen where people have had kind of an experience like that, either in heaven or hell, we've got to stick to our, our rule number one. It's got to be in the Word, so let's look at Scripture were there men and women in scripture that this happened to and and there was we see one in in Luke 9:30 it says this suddenly two men Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus they were glorious to see and they were speaking about his exodus from this world which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem now at this point Moses has been dead for 1300 years Elijah has been gone for 900 years And yet they're talking to Jesus. How could that be? Unless there is some type of heaven that exists to protect them, to hold them. Paul in 2 Corinthians, he talks about how he was caught up to the third heaven. This heaven that we're talking about today. He won't even really talk about it. It's so beyond words that he doesn't even write about it. Last but not least, we have Jesus himself. He refers to himself as the one who came from above in John chapter 3. In John 14, he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then in John 23, he tells the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Does heaven exist? Yes. Yes. And in fact, heaven is not only a reasonable idea, it is a necessary truth. It exists. The next question was sent in by one of our younger members and he asked, how big is heaven? That's a, that's a reasonable question because we need to know, is everybody going to fit? Like we, There's a lot of Christians across all these years. Is everybody going to fit? We actually have some measurements in Revelation. In Revelation 21, 16, it says this, the city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with a rod. And he found it to be 12,000 stadia in length, and as wide and as high as it is long. In other words, it's a, it's a big cube, and it's 12,000 stadia. That's 1,380 miles. That's big. Because this is not actually a measurement of heaven. It's actually a measurement of the new Jerusalem. So just one city, the way this is measured, 1,380 miles cubed. So it's absolutely huge. Now I will say that in Revelation, I can't go too far into this, but sometimes in Revelation a number is a kind of length or a kind of time and not that specific amount. But if we go all the way back to the first verse of Revelation 21, we see it's getting even bigger because it says this in verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. That word new is actually the Greek word renewed. I believe we're still going to use this planet. I believe that God is going to restore it. He's going to redeem it. And somehow we will pass between this earth and a new heaven and and all be connected. In other words, heaven's going to be big enough. It's going to be big enough. Hold all of us. Question number three, who will be there? That's another good question. And, and the underlining question kind of is, will we know each other in heaven? Well, first let me say, God's going to be there. Okay, that, that's the most important thing. As Father, Son, and Spirit, He's going to be there. And that's what we really should be most excited about. Secondly, Angels are going to have lots of angels there, both in Isaiah 6 and Revelation 4. We have this heavenly host of angels and these creatures that sing out to the Lord, holy, holy, holy. So there's going to be some angels. We're going to meet the archangel Michael, who led the forces of God against Satan in Revelation 12 to defeat Satan, to win that battle. Angels will be in heaven. And, of course, there will be people, lots and lots of people, Which is why the question of size is actually a good one. You know, as we gather around the throne of God, we will be an innumerable multitude of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. It's going to be fantastic. There will be people from other churches and other denominations, and we'll find out which arguments between denominations were petty and irrelevant. (laughs) We're going to find that out. And we'll find out which arguments were kind of imperative. You know, look around. Oh, that denomination's not here. Uh, I'm just kidding. It's just a joke. It's just just a joke. I wasn't going to name one, by the way. I was not going to do that. But best of all, it's God. God himself is going to be there. That's what we're excited about. But we will see our family and our friends who have gone on before us that put their trust in Jesus. And what a joy that will be to reunite with those who have been cut off from us by physical death. But how are you going to know them? Will they look young or old? If someone dies as an infant, what is the form that they take in heaven? If they have scars or deformities or kind of a a hindrance mentally, will those things be healed? With all that, that amount of people, how are we going to find them Those are all great questions. I don't know that I can answer all of them. I do know that all of those things that we struggle with physically or mentally are going to be healed. I think think we're going to retain our individual personalities. I think you're going to keep the same name. Elijah and Moses did. I think that we will still have some kind of memory of who we were. I say that because of a story that Jesus told in Luke 16, 19. I'm going to read the whole thing to you. It's kind of long, but you need to hear it because it sets a very good foundation for what we're talking about. But I want to tell you this, this is not a parable. He doesn't say this as a parable. It's not really labeled as a parable. And so we can take this as the truth right from the words of Christ. Here's what he says. There was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen, and who lived each day in luxury. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, who was covered with sores. And as Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Ugh. Finally, the poor man died. He was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham in, uh, in the heavenly banquet. The rich man also died. He was buried. He went to the place of the dead. There, in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich men shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted. Lazarus had nothing. So now he's here being comforted and you're in anguish. And besides, there's a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here and no one can cross over to us from there. Then the rich man said, Please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home, for I have five brothers, and I want him to warn them so that they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, No, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. And it's that last part. It gives me chills. Even right now, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. That even if someone rises from the dead, which Jesus is about to do, they're not going to listen. Now, from this story, we can gather some things about heaven. that will have some memories, We'll have our individuality. I believe we are going to know one another in heaven. And I got a list of people that I need to give a hug to. All right? But do you have a list of people to make sure is going to be there with you? You want both lists. You want both. First person I got to see, though, is Jesus i got to see my Savior first. I need, to, I need to bow down at His feet and I need to thank Him for what He has done. First, heaven's going to be incredible, guys. It's going to be incredible. God is probably going to be unexplainable. Kenny Bowles, one of my professors, once said this when he was talking about heaven. The very things that we love the most in the best people we know are the parts of their character that reflect the image of God so here we know people who are exceedingly Christ-like we know there are parts of their character that are very Christ-like but only parts in heaven we're going to get the real thing right there in front of us next question will we have real bodies well, Scripture's pretty clear about that as well. In fact, Paul in 1 Corinthians, he asks that as kind of a rhetorical question. In 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty-five, he says, But someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? He answers that. In First Corinthians fifteen forty-three, our bodies are buried in brokenness; they'll be raised in glory. They're buried in weakness, but they'll be raised in strength. They're buried as natural human bodies, but they'll be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. We will definitely have real bodies. Now, how will they function? Will they be just like the bodies that we have now, only they never get old? And that leads sort of to the next question. This is question number five. Will our bodies have all five senses? That's a great way of asking the question of of bodies in heaven. And as we approach the answer to this question, I have to say we are now speculating. Okay, We're stepping off into that sort of sanctified imagination. We know we're going to have spiritual bodies. That is for sure. What they will be like, we don't have a whole lot of information, but we can know some things. I would say that the Garden of Eden gives us some understanding of how our bodies might function in heaven. So imagine you're Adam and Eve. You've just come to life in this beautiful place. You can see the blue skies, the lush plants. You can smell the flowers, and you can hear the birds. God has given you this paradise to experience with all five of your senses, and I believe that heaven will be even better than that. I hope that you're expecting to experience things on a much greater level than what we do here. The the godly pleasures that we have on this earth, I think are going to be even more heightened in heaven. I think we're going to have our sense of taste. We'll eat something. Revelation tells us that those who overcome will eat the hidden manna. If we have a sense of taste, then we probably have a sense of smell. I think maybe our, our glorified noses are going to be able to smell even more things. And, and I think that's, that'll be wonderful. There'll be more things and variety of things to smell that will bring us joy and, and, and happiness to be part of this renewed heaven and earth. Some of you suffer from hearing loss. My aunt was born deaf. All those physical issues will be redeemed. We will hear so much better than we do now, and we know that God could allow us to smell and hear better because right now your dog can hear better and smell better than you do. I mean, that is the truth. So we know that if he wanted to, he could give us a sense of smell and even a sense of hearing that's greater than what we have now, our sense of touch sense of touch is absolutely going to be present. If you read the gospels, you see Jesus using this sense of touch. He touches the leper. That nobody touched. Nobody. He touches the sick and the lame and the blind and the crippled. Yeah, we're going to have our sense of touch, our sight. Maybe maybe the most important sense. We'll certainly have that in heaven. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Man, we can't even begin to imagine, really. I mean, we're trying. We're trying today, but we really can't. I think it's going to be overwhelming at first. But we'll have our five senses. Maybe he'll give us a sixth sense. Who knows? He's got the creative power to do that. As we talk about senses, some of you may be wondering, will there be intimacy in heaven? Abby and I had this conversation. No, I won't tell you the conversation we had. Uh, listen, I can't say for sure, but here's what I do know. In Mark chapter 12, the Sadducees ask Jesus a question kind of along these lines. And it has more to do with if you have multiple wives because of, of death and, and what does that look like in heaven. And, and you can read that. Go to Mark chapter 12. But in verse 25, he tells them that those who, who rise from the dead, that they will neither marry or be given in marriage. So we won't have marriage in heaven. And probably that means we won't have that intimacy in heaven but I think we will have a deeper non sexual kind of intimacy with, with our, our spouses, but also with just one another. And maybe that disappoints you, but I don't think you will be disappointed with how our, our new bodies experience heaven, I promise. That thought leads to the next question What will not be in heaven? Well, there's lots of things that won't be in heaven. Lawyers won't be in heaven, well, <laughs> there'll be no lawyers. If you're a lawyer, I'm sorry. But we won't need them. We won't need them in heaven. Um, You know what? We probably won't need police officers or firemen. We won't need nurses or hospitals, doctors. You won't need pastors. You don't need me. What do you need me for? You got the real thing right there. I mean, God the Father's right there. You don't need me. Perhaps most importantly won't be there is Satan. Satan will not be there. We know that for sure. Revelation 20:10 says, "And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever." We will not be bothered by temptation because the great tempter will be gone. And and with him goes all the lying, all the deceiving. There will be nothing impure or unclean is what Revelation 21:27 says. Even the rivers are going to be pure, clean, no pollution. We won't be bothered by any of that anymore. There's also going to be no curse. That's really important, incredibly pivotal. Revelation 22.3 tells us that no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. When you think about what the curse has done to us, you realize how important that is. Because under, under this curse, there's always a threat of pain. Physical, sure, but also relational and emotional, and spiritual, and psychological. In a fallen world under the curse, things don't always go so well. There's famines, there's droughts, there's floods. You have tornadoes and hurricanes and earthquakes that wreak havoc, cancer and sickness and disease, deformities, all that stuff. That's not going to be there. That is part of the curse. But someday, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus. And if you know the song, we will sing and shout the victory. And we will shout the victory. And as we do that, I'm reminded we're not going to do that inside a church building or a temple. There is no temple. Revelation 21:22 says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. We won't need buildings like this. I suppose we don't need them now, but it would be kind of cold or hot or just kind of dangerous to not have a roof over our heads. But there, it won't matter. No temple, no church building. The next obvious question then is, what will we do? We know what will be there. We kind of have an idea of what won't be there. What will we do? Do we just sing praises and have a praise song, for just like repeat forever and ever? Because some of you are like, yes, and some of you are like, man, I don't know if I can do that. (laughs) Again, we're going to have to use a little bit of our sanctified imagination to think through this, but I believe that we will do more than just Sing forever on a fluffy cloud. Okay, we're, we're going to do more than that. Uh, we're reminded in Genesis 1, of something very important. It says this, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. You were created to be someone who creates because your very nature is, is that. We were designed to create. That's how God made us. And so, The reason we frown on this eternity long song service is because that would stifle that drive that we have to be creative. And so I think in heaven it will be a place where we exercise our creativity in a very godly way. All the time. What does that mean? That means poets will write. That means musicians will play and they'll write music and compose. Artists will paint. Builders will create these beautiful structures. In a million different ways, we will use our creativity to honor the creator. And I think in heaven we're going to exercise our intelligence at a much greater level than we do now. Our renewed bodies get a renewed mind. Learning things is going to be a joyful experience. I think we're going to be very social. God is three in one. He is community. I think we're going to enjoy perfect fellowship, perfect relationships. That means when you communicate with one another, there will be no fear of a misunderstanding or hidden motives or selfishness or prejudice. Think about this. Perfect fellowship, perfect relationships. That's going to be pretty nice. We're going to experience perfect and pure love for one another. That person you don't like, that person that you kind of avoid, that gets under your skin, that you turn the other way with here at church, (laughs) that person, you're going to have a perfect, harmonious relationship with them. And we're going to have all kinds of time to spend with the Lord and to spend with the people that we knew and the people that we'd only heard about. John doesn't say in Revelation that we're going to sing forever. He does say in Revelation 22, 5, and they will reign forever and ever. So alongside God, under his love, under his authority, we're going to do all kinds of different things in heaven that bring him glory and that provide us perfect joy. And that leads to our final question. When does it all begin? When is this going to happen? For one generation, they don't have to face death, but for the rest of us, we don't get to skip that part. Death is that final enemy, that's what scripture tells us, but praise God, he has conquered death. We will be in heaven, I believe, that we will be in heaven right after we die. There are some who believe that we will have kind of this soul sleep, a soul slumber, they get that from a passage in 1 Thessalonians 4.13. And, and I can understand why they see this. Here's what it says. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to believers who have died, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we, will, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord, we who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with a voice of the archangel, and with a trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. By the way, that word caught up, that's the word rapture. Rapture is actually not a word in the New Testament, it just, but it's there caught up. Talk about that later sometime. Then we'll be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these things. You can see how they might draw the conclusion that maybe we have this long sleep and and, and we're slumbering. And then when Christ returns, he wakes them up. The only problem with that is all the other verses in scripture that point the other direction that say right after we die, we will be with him and so I could show you 15 passages. I won't read them to you, but starting in the Gospels with the words of Jesus, going through the New Testament, into Revelation, we see time after time proof that we will immediately be in the presence of God, completely coherent of where we are. Perhaps most, the most well-known passage that's quoted to prove this is 2 Corinthians 5.8. It says, yes, we are fully confident. We would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home With the Lord. Some of you may remember an older version to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I don't think there's gonna be any soul sleeping. The last enemy death is defeated. And we walk immediately through the doorway of eternal life. When Christ returns, yes, there will be a day of judgment. And eternal destinies will be publicly announced. You will be rewarded for the work that you did here in this life. But you will be with God right after your death. If you know him now, you're going to get to know him forever. Guys, heaven is an amazing place. I may not have answered every single question. That you sin in. But I want you to hear this. The when is not that important. It's just not. When when will the rapture happen? Is it it pre trib, mid trib, post trib? It's not that important. The how, again, it's not that important. How how is this world going to end? Not that pivotal. The what. Even the what is not that important. What will heaven be like? It's, It's fun to talk about. It's fun to think about and imagine. What are the end times going to be like? Which view do you have? Again, that's really not all that crucial. What matters most is the who. Jesus is the who. Knowing him is what makes all the difference. Who you believe in. Who you trust, who you pray to, that's what truly matters. Knowing him is what gets us excited about the when and the how and the what. Heaven is going to be unbelievably amazing, first and foremost because of him. And I can't wait to get there. But he's not done with me yet. And if you're sitting here today and you're breathing, he's not done with you either. If you're not dead, you're not done. Okay? You you can quote that all you want. If you're not dead, you're not done. You you can keep these things on your mind. You can use your sanctified imagination to wonder what it might be like. But church, here's what I, I need you to do. Here's what I need to do. Keep your hands on the plow. Keep cultivating the spiritual ground of this community so that more people more often say yes to God. I think Hebrews twelve twelve probably says it best. It says, so take a new grip with your tired hands. Strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a, a straight path so that those who are weak and lame will not fall, but become strong. See, we love that we have a heaven to look forward to, but we got to make sure that we keep plowing the ground so that more people get a chance to know what we know, get a chance to imagine what we've imagined today. This whole series is asking for a friend. Some of you brought your friends. Keep bringing them, guys. Keep bringing them. Father, we thank you so much that we have the opportunity to just get into your word and and understand on some level what what heaven will kind of be like. It's a very basic level. You don't, you don't give us much. It's a nice surprise. And I, I look forward to the surprise, Lord. I, I I know we know a little bit, but I know what we need to worry about the most is, is what we're doing right now. What we're doing to expand your kingdom. Help us to be focused on your son. Help us to be focused on i bringing more people to you so that they can have the same joy that we do in, in talking about these things and laughing about them and maybe even a tear as we miss those who have gone before us, but knowing we'll see them again. And so in all this, Lord, we just pray that you will continue to guide us and direct us down the path that you have planned for us individually and for us as a church. And so, Lord, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.